Well, it's good to see everybody here today. Um, we're going to do a couple of things today. Not only are we going to hear the Word of God, but I think we're going to um, uh, take some time to pray. But also we're doing some communion today. So if you haven't, who, who's, who's supposed to be on the welcoming committee duty today? Does anyone know? All right, so there's a box there in the back. Okay, so if you haven't picked up a communion cup, then um, please pick one as you, as you, as before you come to service in the communion, okay? All right. Um, passage that was just read to us was from uh, the book of Acts. And if you know anything about the book of Acts, you know that the apostle Luke um, wrote the book of Acts. And... Here in our passage, what I want to do today is just to kind of give you a little brief insight into probably one of the most uh, famous minor characters in the Bible, and that's this guy Barnabas. And um, maybe if you've been going to church, um, if you've heard sermons, if you've even read the Bible, you, you know about this guy named Barnabas, right? You've probably heard of him and what he does, but he's introduced to us today here in chapter 4, and did you know this? that Barnabas is not his real name. That if you look here in verse 36, his name was Joseph. So we're introduced to this guy, Joseph, and he was called by the apostles Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement, or depending on your translation, son of consolation, or son of exhortation. He was a Levite from Cyprus uh, at the end of our chapter here, and Joseph, was nicknamed Barnabas. And oftentimes, that's how names work in the Bible, um, that it was given to a person to sort of reveal his character, something about the person, his personality, maybe even his destiny. So for example, Abraham meant father of many. Jacob literally means something like cheater or someone who steals. Peter means rock. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a guy named Nabal, which meant fool. Even some of the women's name meant something. Naomi, did you know, means pleasant. And Delilah is actually a pet name that literally meant something like sweetheart or sweetie. And so you got this guy named Joseph here, introduced to us here in Acts chapter 4. And his name is Joseph, but they called him Barnabas, which meant, we're told, son of encouragement. And it's a nickname for him. Imagine this. Imagine being so well known for being a kind of comforting an encouraging person that people around you stop calling you by your real name and choose to instead call you by a nickname. And suppose that nickname became so common, so popular, that some people who hear about you, they don't even know your real name anymore. Right? And if you read Luke and if you read Acts, after chapter 4, Luke never addresses this individual as Joseph again, but calls him now Barnabas. 23 more times he's referred to as Barnabas after this. Never again you know this guy as Joseph. And even when you read the Apostle Paul's letters, he refers to Barnabas, never Joseph, but Barnabas five times in his epistles. Never uses once his real name. That's who he is now. And what I want to do is then look at this guy and see what did he do to deserve such a name. And as we think about this, I want us to understand this. I want us to understand what encouragement is and what it ought to look like, what, what, what it can do 
what real encouragement can do. Now, there are probably a total of seven places where you see Barnabas doing something uh, according to his name. But I'm just going to give you three. Three examples of this guy, Barnabas, that shows us what he does and what encouragement can do. The first, it was just in our passage. In verse 37, we're just told that this guy, Joseph, who was later called Barnabas, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the very first thing about this guy Barnabas, son of encouragement, was that in this time during Acts, in the early church, there was this need, and people needed money, and they needed food. And the very first thing you know about this guy is this. He has some land, he sells it, he takes all the money, and he gives it to the apostles. Imagine how encouraged, how encouraged the apostles were. Okay? It's a brief mention. But a second example, I think, uh, of encouragement is Acts chapter 15. And Barnabas now is with Paul. And they're beginning their second missionary journey. And Barnabas wanted to uh, take this guy named John called Mark or John Mark. But Paul didn't want to take this guy. He was against the idea because for some reason, this guy, John, uh, was with them in the first journey they had, and John just ditched them. John left them. So Paul didn't want him to come along to the second journey. And, you know, maybe because he thought this guy, John's unreliable, uh, can't get things done, he's, he's weak sauce. We're not exactly told why John didn't go or left them in the first journey. But the thing is, in chapter 15, Barnabas said, I want to take him. Basically, Barnabas stood up for John, and he refused to give in to Paul. And so what happens in Acts chapter 15 is Paul and Barnabas now split up. Barnabas takes John with him. And then Paul takes some other guy named Silas with him, and they never work together after that in the Bible again. But you see, Paul wasn't, even though he was an apostle, he wasn't perfect. And it's a quite unfortunate situation there. But apparently, we read later on in Paul's letter that Paul's opinion of John actually had changed over the course of time. Because if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, or Philemon chapter 1, you find that Paul mentions that guy, John, the guy that he didn't want on his journey with him, the guy that Barnabas instead took with him. He mentions John Mark as companion, a co-worker, he says, three times in his letters. And you know what's interesting? Most scholars believe that that guy, John Mark, who Barnabas took but Paul refused, was one of the guys who wrote one of the books in the Bible called the Gospel of Mark. Even if Paul had been right about John in the beginning, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, seemed to have recognized the potential of this guy, this man, John, who's called Mark, and he advocates for him. That's what encouragement does. It can see potential. It advocates for someone, despite initial appearances or even impressions. And that's what Barnabas does for John who's later called Mark. Now, the third example I want to give you is this. The third is Paul himself. Because ironically, no one should have known better what encouragement is than the apostle Paul himself. Because Paul, the great apostle, the Paul who wrote half of the New Testament, wasn't always Paul, right? 
he used to be named or known as Saul. And as Saul, he was a guy who hated Christians. In fact, his mission at that time in his life was to arrest and to kill as many Christians as he could. So you read Acts chapter 7, Acts 8, Acts 9, you read about Saul. But in Acts chapter 9, something amazing happens. He's on the road to Damascus, ready to arrest more Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. But there on the road, he miraculously becomes a Christian. It's one of the most amazing conversion stories in the Bible. And it's amazing because of this. Think about it. In the beginning, Saul is bent on murdering followers of Jesus. At the end, he becomes a missionary for Jesus. In the beginning, Saul wanted to kill Christians. Towards the end, he becomes one of them. And his former friends then want to kill him. So he becomes a Christian in Damascus, and he wants to return to Jerusalem, but he can't go back to his old friends, right? Because they wanted to kill him because he's now just been converted. But there's a problem. There's a problem here because he thought he could go to the church. He thought he could go to the apostles. But you're told in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, that all the disciples of Jesus were afraid of him. They didn't know anything about his conversion. To them, Saul was still public enemy number one. They only remembered what he did to them. They didn't trust this guy Saul. They didn't want anything to do with him because... He had a reputation. He had a dirty past. And he was trying to kill them. And now he comes back and he says, I'm a Christian? You know, if I was there, I would think, that's got to be a, a ploy. That must be some plan to pretend or fake a conversion so that he could get in and take more Christians. So they didn't like him. They didn't accept him. They didn't trust him. And it's at that moment in Acts chapter 9, verse 27, Guess who was there to step in and vouch for him? Barnabas. Verse 27, Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, just like he would do for Mark, advocated for Saul. He stood by Saul when no one else believed him or trusted him. He saw potential in Saul. You see, the early church looked at Saul, they saw a problem. Barnabas looked at Saul, and he saw incredible potential. The early church looked at it and saw his past. Barnabas saw his future. The early church saw what he had been. Barnabas saw what he could be by God's grace. This is what encouragers do. They see potential. They look forward to the future. They focus on what people could be by God's strength and grace. That's what Barnabas does. That's what he is to this guy Saul. And what's more, you keep reading Acts from chapter 9, and you can assume this Barnabas takes Saul, a new Christian, under his wings, and he works with him. And as they journey together and serve together, Saul, later his name changes to Paul, the Apostle Paul. And what's interesting here is that as they work together from chapter 9 all the way to chapter 13, here's something interesting. They are constantly referred to together as Barnabas and Saul, and Barnabas and Saul, and later Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul, they went here. Barnabas and Paul, they went there. 
That was important because when you look at the order of the names in the Bible, it means something. You usually mention the older person first, the wiser person first, the teacher first, the mentor first, and then you mention the younger or the student or the mentee. That's why if you know the story of Mary and Martha, the Bible never says Mary and Martha. It says what? Martha and Mary because Martha was older. But the thing here in Acts chapter 13 is this. Something's changed by the time you get to chapter 13 in their relationship. Because in chapter 13 and then the rest of the books, the names are reversed. From chapter 13, they are now together referred to as Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Not Barnabas and Paul anymore, but Paul and Barnabas. And so you infer from this that apparently Paul grew exponentially in spirit and faith and in giftedness, in speaking and in writing, and probably in overall usefulness for the gospel ministry. Because after all, it's not Barnabas, but Paul who writes 13 of our books in the New Testament. That's almost half the New Testament. There aren't any books there written by Barnabas. Barnabas is not a major figure in the Bible. He's considered a minor figure. Paul was the major one, right? So the student now has become the teacher. And it's not that Barnabas became ineffective or that he became useless or he's less, but Barnabas, son of encouragement, his job, his usefulness, his gift was that of encouragement. He didn't have to be the guy mentioned first. He didn't have to be the guy in the front all the time. He didn't have to be the one to lead all the time. And so there's a humility then that we see to Barnabas. But I want you to know this. The fact of the matter is, no matter how great, how effective, how gifted or major the Apostle Paul became, you've got to know this. There would be no Apostle Paul without Barnabas. He may be a minor character in the Bible because we don't hear about him after they split and go their separate ways. But his work, his effect, his result, his impact was not minor. Although he never wrote a word of scripture, in an indirect way, he was responsible for half the New Testament. All because he was an encouragement and an influence over just two people. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, and John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. There would be no Paul without Barnabas. There may be no Mark without Barnabas, the son of encouragement. That's what encouragement does. Now let me ask you a question today as you're listening to this. Do you have someone like this in your life? Do you have a Barnabas in your life? Or better yet, are you someone like this in someone else's life? We live in a world right now where we need people like Barnabas. And we learn something about encouragement here. Because Barnabas was not just known for offering a few words of encouragement or comfort. Encouragement here is more than just, hey, you can do it. Hey, cheer up. 
Did you know that the word encouragement, in son of encouragement, here in the Greek is from the word parakaleo in the Greek. That word literally means to walk alongside of someone. In legal terms, it meant to counsel or defend, to advocate. So when the Bible says he was the son of encouragement, it meant that he was known for standing beside people in their trials. He didn't just say, hang in there, things will work out. He was not emotionally detached from them, but he joined with them in their troubles. Encouragement doesn't just see a problem and then try to say something good. It sees the needs of people that they're also facing in those trials. And maybe this is why Barnabas is introduced as a man who sold his land so that the money can be given to the people in need. Barnabas was quick to respond to human need, to give the benefit of the doubt, to spot spiritual potential, and to speak up in Paul's favor and in Mark's favor when the church wanted nothing to do with him. Friends, you have to know this. Encouragement, comfort, is more than just words. It means to stand by someone. And to stand by someone means this. You and I have to be prepared to share the burden, and to endure struggle with that person. Now, at this point, I could say here to you, hey, be a Barnabas, right? Just be a Barnabas. But practically, it means this. You've got to make a choice today about how you view people, especially brothers and sisters in the church. In John Mark's case, Barnabas looked beyond the mistakes of a young man and considered the potential benefits of giving Mark another chance to serve. In Paul's case, Barnabas set aside those fears and distrust and chose to believe that Paul had really changed. If you want to be an encourager, an advocate, standing beside someone, You've got to believe in them. You've got to believe in their value before God. And you've got to choose to consider their future by God's grace rather than dwell on their sins and mistakes. And sometimes that involves risk. But this is why Paul tells the church in Corinth, chapter 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But that's what encouragement does. And maybe in our church, as small as it might be, there are a few people, maybe you are a Barnabas. Because this is something that you're naturally just good at doing. And if that's you today, it's your gift. Remember when we talked about gift in Romans chapter 12? What did, what did verse 8 say in Romans 12? 8? If a person's gift is what? Encouraging. Let him encourage. So there might be a few of us like that here today. But let's be honest. For the rest of us, you might not feel that's your strength. Maybe that's not your gift. And I want you to know this. There are at least two places in the New Testament where all of us, gifted or not, are commanded to encourage this way. First Thessalonians 5, Paul says, encourage one another and build one another just as you are doing. Hebrews chapter 3, but encourage one another day after day. So here you see that it's something there that Paul tells all of us are to do as we have need 
as we see need and as we have opportunity. You may not have the gift of encouragement. You might not think that you are a Barnabas today, but we can all be a source of encouragement. How do I know this? Because you've got three things. Just three things. First, here's what you've got. The reason that Barnabas could be such an encourager to others, I think, is because of this. He believed in the greatest encourager ever. In 2 Corinthians chapter, 3, chapter 1, verse 3, Paul describes God like this. God is the father of mercies and the God of what? The God of all encouragement. I think Barnabas was a son of encouragement because he was a son of his father in heaven who is the God of all encouragement. He learned to treat others the way God had treated him. And how did God treat him? By giving to him his only son, Jesus Christ, so that when you trust in that son, you become like a son or a daughter. You look like your father in heaven, who is a God of encouragement. You bear his image, and so you're called to reflect his likeness, and you become a wonderful imitator of this God, who is the God of encouragement. You have a father of encouragement, you can encourage. But the second thing is even more so. The second thing you have is this. As we said before earlier in this sermon, the Greek word for encouragement comes from the word parakaleo, which literally means, literally means to come alongside of someone, to advocate, right? But do you know the Greek word for someone who does this kind of encouragement? It's the Greek word paraklete. Sounds like parakaleo, to come alongside of someone, Someone who does that is a paraclete. And there are two places in the Bible where we see that word, okay? The first is in John chapter 14, verse 16, and that word paraclete is used of the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete to be with you forever. And that means that in Jesus, not only do we have a Father who is a God of encouragement, but you have the Spirit of God that dwells in us in Christ, who comes alongside of us and gives us that strength to live out that Christian life. To be a source of encouragement, you have the Spirit, the paraclete. So first you have God the Father, then you have the Holy Spirit, but here's the third thing you have. That word paraclete is also used in 1 John chapter 2, and then it talks about Jesus Christ. And John says, we have a paraclete with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, the advocate. And it means there then that Jesus himself is the one who advocates for us, who speaks up in our defense, even though we are still sinners. Here's what I want you to know. You may not have the gift of encouragement like Barnabas. Being like Barnabas might be too hard for you, for some of us. But that doesn't mean you can't encourage at all because you've been given the power of encouragement. You've been given all the resources that Barnabas had from the triune God. You've been made a son and daughter of a God of encouragement. You have the Spirit, the Spirit himself, who gives you strength to encourage. 
And you don't have Barnabas, the son of encouragement, but you have the true son of encouragement, Jesus Christ, who is right now in heaven praying for you, advocating for you, and standing with you. That's your resource today. Consider his grace when you find it hard to be an encourager. That is true of you. And that's why we need to understand what encouragement is. And so today, what I want to do today as a church is, as a church, to be a source of encouragement. A source of encouragement to members in our church. And particularly today to uh, a particular family that is going to be transitioning out of our church and into a new phase in life. If I could ask the Parks to come up to the front, uh, you could bring the children too. Kind of face, I'm gonna put you on the spot. I know it's uncomfortable, okay? It won't be too long. But I'd like for us to be uh, a source of encouragement for the parks. Um, you know, people come and go in the church all the time. But rarely do we have people who have been with us from the very beginning. And um, for, you know, real reasons and legitimate reasons are ready to move and need to move because that is the will of God at this point in their life. Rarely do we see people who not only have been from the beginning, but have invested their life from the very beginning of our church. And, and I want to say to uh, Jason and Amy, you know, I'm not Apostle Paul by far. I am no Apostle Paul. But you have been a Barnabas to me. You have stood alongside of me. You have encouraged me. Uh, you are not up in front people. You've always been in the back, quietly serving, faithfully, taking care of not only church things, but family and friends. Uh, you have been that person. There would be no Pastor Francis without you. There would be no sojourner, I could say, maybe, without you guys. And this is not something just, just for them. There are many in our church this way, but the Lord has called them away. And so I just want to encourage you and to let you know how thankful I am with you. And I'm not going to say goodbye. I'm not, you can, I know you're not going to say goodbye. I know we will meet again. But I know the church will feel your presence missing on a given Sunday. Um, I know I will. And I am thankful that the Lord has brought you into my life and that he's taking you on to your next phase with your family and children. And we here as a church, I hope that we will continue to not only remember you in our thoughts, but to pray for you, to pray for your children, to pray for safe transition, um, to be used as a Barnabas again, wherever you might go and wherever you might be. And so if we could just take a moment to just pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your faithfulness to the church. And your faithfulness to church is not because you provide such wonderful pastors or leaders all the time, 
but your faithfulness to the church is shown as you provide wonderful members uh, and people, congregants, people who just come. And who would have ever thought, Lord, that uh, maybe you would use people like us to, to do church stuff. But Lord, as we uh, pray for the parks, we recognize, Lord, how much they have been a part of our community. How much, Lord, they have blessed us and how much, Lord, they mean to us. I know, Lord, that many of us here, some of us here, we, we may feel relatively new that we don't know the parks as well. And some of us here, many of us here, we have known them for quite a long time. But whether we know them well or not, we pray that they would be, continue to be a, an example, a source of encouragement, um, Lord, just a, a presence of love wherever they go. We will miss them dearly, their physical presence. But we pray, Lord, that the bonds of spirit and faith and love are always secure and that you encourage us continuously through them. So go with them, Lord, as they move to another place. Help them, Lord, to transition well. Use them continuously in their life, wherever they might be. And continue, Lord, to give us the good news of the gospel message through them. Help us to hear a wonderful things that you are doing in their lives. They've had a hard year, uh, rough, difficult, full of sadness and tragedy and even hardships that maybe many of us can't always relate with, but through it all, you have kept them steadfast. You have secured them, encouraged them. And I pray, Lord, that they too would remember, just as us, that you go with them in the strength of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Are there any words that you would like to say? Um, wow. <laughs> um, I'm not really an emotional person, but I mean, that was... I thought only Amy was going to be crying, but <laughs> but um, I know Pastor Francis saying, you know, we were encouragement, but uh, everyone here has been encouragement to us, to our family, um, through the years. Um, you know, especially as you know, past year, as many of you know, it was very difficult, and we just. You know, I, it would have been very difficult to go through that without. Sojourner and everyone here. So we, we are eternally grateful to God that He provided all of you to us, and um, you know that just this past year, but ever since the beginning of Sojourner, oh, um, you know, um, even though um, a lot of times we may not shown it with our words or as we speak to each other, but I've, our band has seen it with your actions and how you supported us, and um, we're eternally grateful for that and um, I know this isn't a goodbye but we will miss worshiping with you guys um, each Sunday and uh, but uh, hopefully uh, but we'll definitely 
visit and you know, even though we're not worshiping in person, we'll be worshiping together with all the other brothers and sisters in Christ. So um, there's hope in that. So again, thank you to everyone here at Sojourner and, and thank you, especially give thanks to, to God for everything for always providing. No? Okay, let's just give them a quick welcome.